If you would, go ahead and take off your mask if you want and have a seat. Uh, here's a testimony from one of our partners uh, of how God's at work in the world that we are getting to be a part of because of their work in the Gift for Christ. Let's watch this together. So in the past, uh, Gift for Christ has allowed us to do ministry with nationals in a way that uh, we've, we've traveled back to a former city that we used to work in. We've also been able to work in some towns where we've met people like Sister Y who uh, we've gotten to pour into uh, and uh, actually be a part of a Bible study that she started because she was displaced because of some persecution. A uh, house church that she had got raided, burned all the Bibles, made them uh, get out. And so she went back to her village, started sharing with some ladies. One of them was even a temple leader. She was the leader of the Buddhist temple. And her first act when she came to believe was to, to tear down the temple. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she, uh, she tore it down and now they meet weekly, daily almost to do, to sing worship songs, to, to study the Bible together. And so, because just like in Acts, the, the church was scattered into their villages, uh, they went back and now there's churches popping up in villages all over. And that's able to continue because we were able to pour into Sister Y in a way that was deep and, and the discipleship was, uh, was deep. And so she can continue the work and other sisters and brothers like her continue the work in their villages. Uh, even though we're not there anymore. And even though we can't be in China anymore, the, the seeds that were planted are now growing and churches are being planted and people's lives are being transformed for all of eternity. And who knows, uh, maybe these other countries that we're serving in right now, they may become closed. But this year, we have the opportunity to get the gospel to them. We, are, we have members of our congregation who live in those places, and we will be sending teams, Lord willing, into those places. And so that's why we give to the gift for Christ, is so that we can partner with those who are in faraway places spreading the gospel. And what a joy it is to see how God is at work in the world, to see what God is doing, not only in our church family, where we're seeing people baptized every week, where we're seeing families come together, where we're seeing healing and hope, and where we're facing challenges and even dealing with, with loss and pain. Yet through it all, God is faithful. And God is good. And we can come and see, we get to come and see what God is doing, how is it working. We get to be a part of it as we fulfill our mission of impacting our homes and our neighbors and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And to come and see what God is doing is to come and see the difference God makes. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks as we, as we walk through Ephesians 2 and, and some other portions of Ephesians. We're going to really get our arms around and I, believe, and, I, and I hope and I believe we're going to get our faith strengthened as we embrace the truth of what God's Word says. What God's word says is that God, God's making a difference. God makes the difference. And we need to see the difference God makes. To have a life without God, it, it, the only way I can really describe it is, is to have a life without the sun. You know, without the sun, there is no life, there's no warmth, there really is no strength. And life without Jesus, there is no real life, there is no warmth, there is no love. It's a, it's a radical difference. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is the difference that God alone can make. Now, our, our text today, our text today is going to, we're going to talk about the greatest difference that God makes. And I, I need you to understand, if, if God has not made this difference in your life, all the other things that we're going to talk about in this series do not apply to you. And so it's crucial, Christians, first of all, that we understand what this difference is 
so that we can not only be sure that we've applied this difference, but that we're living in this difference. If you're not yet a Christian, understand that the other things that we're going to talk about are wonderful. They will be helpful to you to understand what God can do. But until you experience this one, the rest of them just won't make sense. See, God's will, God's will is not to give us a better version of the self that we were born as. You know, what a lot of people want to do is they want to say, okay, here's my life and I'll be glad to add a little Jesus in. There's nothing wrong with a little Jesus seasoning. There's nothing wrong with maybe a a category for God in my life. That's not God's will. God's will is not to be a category of our life. God's will is not that we be seasoned with a little bit of Jesus. Here's God's will. And here's the difference that only God can make. God wants us to have a whole new life. He doesn't want us to have a better life of the one we were born with. He wants us to have a whole new life. Now for that to happen, we have to die to the life we were born with and receive the new life that only, that only God can give and experience the difference that only God can make. Paul talked about that, how that was true for him in Galatians 2.20. He wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. And what he means by that is he died to his old life, the life he was born with as a Pharisee, as a a Roman citizen, as as someone who was was from an elite family where he was able to get elite education. It's like, I'm done with that life. I've been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, in order to experience and to, and, and to have this discovery, we have to give up the old life that we were born with. And we have to receive this new life that only Christ can give. And that's hard. It's especially hard for successful North Americans. Because the reality is most of us are pretty comfortable. I mean, yeah, we, we may not like this or that, but on the whole, uh, most, most folks are, are pretty happy with the life that they have. And they, they love it so much. Honestly, the idea of giving up is very difficult for them. But you know, the, the old life that we have, it's kind of like this temporary crown that I have in my mouth right now. You know, right before we went on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I mean, literally dinner before we're leaving, I, I bite into a, a chip and half the filling in one of my, one of my tooth is gone. I think I swallowed it. I lived through it, I think but gone. And so I called, I called, you know, our dentist called another friend and um, they couldn't get to me. So I'm, I'm without, you know, you know, part of a tooth. And they said, it'll be fine. You know, they always say that when they can't do anything, you know, for you, it'll be fine. You'll, you'll, you'll probably, probably be okay. So I went to the dentist, Dr. Simon, one of our members, and, and uh, he looked at it, he said, yeah, we can't, we can't put a filling in that. That's massive. We're, we're going to have to put a crown on. And uh, it sounded cool at first, but it's not. And so, you know, he put this temporary uh, crown on and, um, you know, it, it, it sounded okay, you know? And, I, you know, it seemed like he was trying to convince me that it was going to be okay, that, that, that this, was, this was going to work. And, and I, you know, I was kind of like, are you sure? And he started, I felt like he was lying to me, I'll be honest with you, but he wasn't. 
But my questioning started to make him nervous. Now, the last thing you want is a person with a drill in your mouth being nervous. And so we had to have a conversation. And he again asserted that it was going to be fine. But then he, then he said something. He said something. I said, oh, you just made the sermon, which again only made him nervous again. So we had to stop and clarify again what, what made the sermon. Because here's what he said. He said, some people ask to keep the temporary crown because they are comfortable with it and don't want to go through the process of getting the permanent one on. So, you know, what happens is you kind of get, he said, this temporary one is so good, you're actually going to want to keep it. But he said, but you can't keep it. You've got to have the permanent one. You want the one that's going to last. And what I want to say to all of us, friends, what we have is, is, is a temporary life. What we want is the eternal one. We don't want temporary dying hope. We need living hope. We don't need a life where we're just getting by. We need the victorious life that we can only have in Jesus Christ, the one who has defeated sin and death. And good news, that's the difference that God wants to make in our life. He wants to give us that life. But to, but to receive it, we have to give up our old life. We got we to gotta give up that temporary crown to get the eternal crown that God desires for us. Now, what we see in our text today is, is what happens when we experience that. What we're gonna see in our text is what happens when we get raised to new life in Jesus. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two, and we, we had said we were only gonna go through verse six. But I got good news. We're going to go through verse 7. Added value right there. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, and that, 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 those two words, I, I, they're underlined in my text. So you might want to underline them in yours here in just a bit. We're going to get into that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of the word. I want you to know this idea of new life. It's not just mentioned in this one one text, this one epistle, this idea of God granting new life to those who are dead is taught throughout scripture. For instance, God told the prophet Ezekiel about it. Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And look where he brought him. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was a, it was full of bones. He took him to a, a graveyard, a, 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 an ossuary, a place where there was just nothing but bones of death. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many, very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry, they were very dead. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them, there was no life. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the power of God. He takes what is dead and brings life. This is what Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Born again, new life, raised up to new life. You know, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to show the power of God to do this very thing. In John chapter 11, beginning in verse 43, we read, when he had said these things, he cried out, this is Jesus with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. This is the power of God. God takes what is dead and brings life. God did this with his son, Jesus. That's what Paul is explaining to the church at Ephesus. And so uh, explaining the resurrection of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Look at this. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, which we're going to dig into a little bit more. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Friends, this is, this is not a fly-by concept in scripture. This, this power of God to raise the dead to life. This new life that only God can give. It is consistent throughout scripture. And until you've discovered this, until you've experienced this, nothing else that Christ offers will really matter to you. This is fundamental. This is primary. In our text, Paul gives details about what happens it's really kind of a, hey, this is what's going on with you when we are raised from the dead to live in the, in the new life of the resurrected Christ. So take note. A few things I would encourage you to take note and see that happens when we're raised. See, when we get raised, first of all, reality gets exposed. Reality. Reality in us, reality in the world, reality in all people gets exposed. See, it says you, y'all, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Friends, what we like to do as human beings, we like to convince ourselves that we're not, we're not really simple. We're not bad. I mean, the, the politician we're voting against, that person's bad. But we're, most of us, we're, 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 not, we're not bad. And, you know, really and truly, people are, are born good and decent. It's just the world systems that really corrupt. I mean, by nature, though, we're good. And, and you know, even though we do bad things, they're really, they're not that bad. 
Can I tell you the three things I just told you are lies that the world and our flesh and the devil tell constantly? That is not what the Bible teaches at all. The the Bible teaches that we were born separated from God because we are sinners by nature. It wasn't long ago that a person walked up to me, and I couldn't believe they said this. (laughs) They walked up and said, you know, I like you. I'm thinking, okay, I don't know you. I like you, but I'm never coming to your church again. I said, well, what I was thinking versus what I said were two different things because I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm I'm becoming more of an adult every day. I said, well, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, you talk a lot about sin. I don't don't really like that. You keep talking about how bad we are. This person said, you know, I, I like to go to church so that I can feel better about me. I just want to go to a church where I can just feel better about me. I just want to be real honest with you. If your expectation today is that you feel better about you dead in your sin, you're in the wrong place. Don't leave yet. I might convince you to stay. But here's reality. Reality is we are far more sinful than we know. And sin is serious. And we've all sinned. Romans 3.23, here's reality. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of Pastor Jason. You wish it said that. No, look at the comparison. Look at what it is we are to be compared by. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our eternal destiny is determined by our capacity to stand in the holiness of God. And the only way that can happen is by grace. See, one of the greatest challenges we face in the human race is a perception problem. See, we have a wrong perception about ourselves. We think we're good about sin. We don't think it's all bad about God. We think he's not concerned about sin. I mean, sadly, there are a lot of Christians who genuinely believe that God's primary concern is that we be happy and comfortable with who and what we choose to be. Have you been hearing a lot about this, about people choosing to be what they want to be? Choosing to be what gender they want to be. Choosing to, to, to be and expecting everyone else just to adapt. Well, they'll just have to deal with it because this is me. And the world applauds it and says, that's right. You go, girl. If that's a thing anymore, that's a 90s thing. I got to figure out what the kids are doing these days. But what do they do? What does the world say? It says, that's right. You be you. And, and, and as you are, you're great. Can I just tell you, God's... God's greatest concern is that we be made whole, holy, and yes, even happy in the one and in the only way that any of us can be truly, fully, whole, holy, and happy. See, the first thing we got to do is we got to understand reality and embrace it, even though it exposes us. I mean, look what the text says. The fact is we are born dead, look at verse one, in the trespasses in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the evil one, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We are, fact of the matter is, prone to fulfill the passions of the flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind. We are, in fact, apart from God by nature, children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. In other words, we're in big trouble. We are by nature sinners. We sin. But what does that mean? I mean, this person left our church over it. Um, what is sin? What does it mean to sin? I want to encourage you to each day take a couple of these. Don't try to write them down. There's too many. Just take a picture of it and we'll post it later. But each day, meditate just on two of these and compare them to what the world, your flesh, and the devil would, would tend to tell you. What is sin? It is the glory of God not honored. It is the, holy of, uh, the holiness of God not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The, the beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. The faithfulness of God, not trusted. The commandments of God, not obeyed. The justice of God, not respected. The wrath of God, not feared. The grace of God, not cherished. The presence of God, not prized. The person of God, not loved. That is sin. And that is serious. Sin is rejecting God and his love for us. It is robbing God of glory. It is rebelling against God and treason. And that's why sin is so costly. Romans 3, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is eternal death in life and hell. Eternal in death. It's awful. But do you know the rest of verse 23? Do you know this one? You need to know this one. Uh, the rest of the verse is good news. Uh, the wages of sin is death, but let's, let's read this out loud together. This is the second part. Let's read this out loud together. There's that good word, but, the, read it out with me. But the gift of God is eternal life in, yes, the one who died for our sin. Our text points us to the good news, and it begins with, but, and here we see in verse four, but God, you might want to underline that in your scripture. You might want to highlight that in, in, in your text on, on your, on your, uh, on your uh, phone or, or, or iPad or whatever, but God being rich in mercy and take note as you do, when we get raised, look at this, mercy gets received. When we get raised, when we experience new life, mercy gets received. When we were dead in sin, the Holy Spirit gave us new life. It's important to understand this. It's important to understand what God must do and why we must pray for people to be saved. We must pray for the movement of God's Holy Spirit. See, that's what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Again, back to verse 6, and then I'm going to read through verse 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, when we are being raised up, moves on us. And when you're being moved by the Spirit of God to be saved, to be raised up, it feels terrible. It feels like conviction. You ever wonder why a baby cries when it's born? Something strange is happening that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem, it's, there's, an, there's a complete alteration of reality. 
And that's what happens when we are saved. The Holy Spirit calms on us. He moves on us. And we feel the conviction. And there's, there's an understanding of the tears. See, new, new believers, we, we come to life through the, the tears and agony of Christ's sacrifice. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. God loves us. And this tells us of our value. We're not valuable because we're pretty. We're not valuable because we're smart. We're not valuable because of what we can produce. Here's where our value is found. John 3, 16. Again, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know why you matter? You know why you're valued? You know what's most important about you? is that God loved you enough to come and die for you. There's nothing in this world that you can ever do that would give you more value than that truth. You are loved by God. And God loves you so much that he died for you. That's God's mercy. And this tears of agony, when we, when we were dead in our trespasses, when we come and we're exposed as sinners, yes, it's painful, and we're made of God, aware of God's sacrifice, but it's glorious. Friends, before we can get better, we got to know that we're sick. There's nothing worse than sitting in a doctor's office and being told you have cancer, being told that you've got some disease that you can't fix, but that there is a cure. And you must submit yourself to that cure. And that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, yes, you're born sick. Yes, you're born separated from God. Yes, you're born a child of wrath. But, but God, the cure has been provided. So what do we have to do? Friends, you have to repent. You have to stop living in the life that makes you sick. You have to stop living in the sickness and the brokenness of sin. You have to repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus paid for your sin, that Jesus was raised and has defeated death, that Jesus is alive. He will live in you and through you, that that he will be with you forever and you will be with him. There's a lot of religious people in the world. There's a lot of churchgoers in the world. That doesn't make you a Christian. There's one thing that will give you salvation. You must repent and believe the gospel. I want to do something. We don't usually do this, but let's do this. If you don't mind, would you mind just bow your heads out of reverence to God, close your eyes, and right now have a conversation with God. Right now, just in your heart, right there, the Lord is listening Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you're really saved. And here's how you can know. You can remember, you can point to that moment when you repented and believed the gospel. Do you remember that season? Can you, can you talk about what your life was like before Jesus? Can you talk about when you repented and believed the gospel? And, and talk about now the difference that Jesus is making in your life because he's alive. Friends, if you can't point to that, you need to experience that right now. And here's how you do it. God is listening. Tell him. Tell him you've sinned and you're wrong. Tell him that you believe that Jesus is God and he died for your sin. And that you know he's alive. And that you want him to live in you.
And if you ask him to forgive you now and to live in you, he will. So do it. And you are saved. Father, I thank you that you're saving some even now. I I thank you that you're opening some eyes and they're feeling the need to be saved. And I pray that they will. And Lord, I pray that they will take that next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you, if you right there repent and believe the gospel, you need to be baptized. You need to do what I call putting the wedding band on. I wear a wedding band because it announces that I'm married. It doesn't make me married. It just announces that I'm married. And what baptism is, is a beautiful picture. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. You've died. Your old life is over. You've been washed. You've been raised to walk a new life in him. And if you have not, if you claim to be a Christian and you've not been baptized, you need to obey and you need to be baptized. If you've come to know Christ today, you need to be baptized. You know, the last thing that I would encourage you to take note of when, when, we're, when we're awakened, when we get raised, is heaven gets tasted. Tasted. We don't get it all. We're positionally able to taste it, but not have it all, just to taste. He's raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So we have a position in Christ and we're tasting the power of heaven at work in our life. But one day we'll get it in full. So in the coming ages, look at verse seven. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That you know, the hardest thing about being a Christian is that as a saved, redeemed child of the living God, whose home is heaven, we have to stay here in this broken, sinful world and continue our journey. That's that's the hardest thing about being a Christian. So we have to stay in a broken world that's not our home. And we have to live by faith and, and have God continue to work through us for his glory and his purpose. But oh, how we how we hunger for heaven. Do you hunger for heaven? Are you willing to give up this temporary crown for the eternal crown of heaven that's waiting? Do you want it? I love the story that Bob Russell, former pastor at Southeast Christian, tells about a little boy. He's around nine when he came to saving faith and he kept putting baptism off. So finally the day of his baptism came and he was really weeping. He was hugging his mom and dad. He said bye to his dog and and, and, and was, was heading to church and he was telling his mom and dad, he said, I'm really going to miss you and I want you to know that I love you very, very much. And his mom and dad said, buddy, we'll see you after the service. He said, oh no, 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 after baptism, I'm going to heaven. See, the way their church was set up, they had this baptistry and after they were baptized, there was a platform that they would walk up to some doors. Of course, we know the child would go back and be changed and then be gathered again to his parents. But this child believed, no, 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 I'm going to be baptized and then I'm going to heaven and I'll never see this life again. That boy's faith inspires me his desire and his hope for heaven. He was willing to say, mom and dad, I love you. World, I love you. I love so many things, but I got to go. (laughs) I got heaven on my mind. I got to get there. I wonder if there's disappointment. Well, nobody afterward, me, mom, and papa are coming over. And Aunt Janice is going to want to kiss. (laughs) it's a broken world. (laughs) 
You know, to, to know, okay, so I've got to continue to, you know, it's, what's amazing is he was, and I'll be honest with you, with me, it's like, yeah, I'll give up, I'll, I'll die, go to heaven now, yeah, let's go. So you know what God's called me today, you know what he's called you to today? To die and live and stay on mission. That's hard. To die daily take up our cross and follow Jesus to live on our journey to heaven, having tasted heaven, but knowing we're not there yet. Having, having experienced the fullness of Christ, but knowing that there's more. We've got battles to fight. The immeasurable richness is there. For those who are in heaven, Dr. Bill Daniels, Cody Eubanks, others who have died, They're experiencing something we can't imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We have no clue how great it's going to be. We have no idea how great that crown is going to be. But those of us who are left here, we're with Jesus. How do we experience Jesus? Through his church, we're the body of Christ. Through his spirit, the promised helper who who has come. Through his word, as he speaks to us, we must embrace his presence. Again, for those of you who've never been saved, take Psalm 34, 8 to heart. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Christian, renew your taste for the Lord and spit out the world. Some of us, our mouths are full with the delicacies of this earth and we're taking in garbage. Spit it out. Taste and see that the Lord is good and experience this life. Experience what it is to be raised up. Experience what it is to to, to know the difference that God makes. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray for any who have never been saved that they would not leave this place until they've talked with someone and they can know that they know that that heaven is their home, that, that you are with them and that they are saved. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here right now, many who are battling and we're all battling, Lord God. We all have private battles that you alone fully see and understand. We need your help. Those of you who are the redeemed in Christ, right now, talk to the Lord about the help you need. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be a mental understanding. You need peace, maybe in a relationship. Ask God. He loves you. Ask Him to help. Father God, it is good to know that we are seated in the heavenly places and have at, at our disposal the power of the Almighty and the goodness of heaven in our lives to be at work in this world. So God, let us know that today. Let us experience that today. Let us see the difference, oh God, that you make in giving us new life. You've raised the dead. That is us to live and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.